good morning everyone uh, welcome to this call uh, we are going to discuss the uh, flexi staffing job market in a covid world and for this we have a very uh, special guest uh, we have mr lohit bhatia the president of the indian staffing federation uh, for those who may not know lohit wears two hats uh, the most recent one as the president of the indian staffing federation and for one that we all know is the head of the workforce management services business at quest uh he has built the fastest and the biggest uh, uh fastest growing and biggest staffing business in the country and has been quite a deal maker having closed very large staffing engagements over the past many years uh welcome lohit thanks for taking up time out to do this uh before we uh, start a small disclaimer uh, uh we'd be specifically talking with lohit uh, from a staffing federation point of view and not quest considering their earnings are yet to be reported so i request any questions later in this call should be from an industry point of view and not quest thank you to investec for having me today morning speak to everyone on behalf of isf uh the presentation that has been shared by investec today morning was something that i gave just few months ago i think if i look back and reflect at that annual event which was happening on behalf of isf in new delhi uh, in winter of 19 and when most of us were just talking about how the staffing industry has grown how employment in the flexi staffing and the front line has grown in the last couple of years uh, we've come a long long way with a few bumps specifically the covid bump that all of us are seeing across the globe as well as in india uh, this presentation was primarily built on the five year trajectory since 2014 15 taken as a base till about uh 2019 how has been the trend and what might be the trend in future we would today uh through questions that all of you may have and what within may line up in the chat uh is obviously going to also speak about this immediate to medium term bump that covid has given us uh so one of the changes which happened during this period of lockdown is uh, uh isf as part of its ritual every two years constitutes a new board uh i was on part of the board in the prior two years as well and on 1st of april took over as the president of the new board uh, so that's what nitin was reflecting uh so thanks to our isf members today i represent 104 of such isf members we are in our ninth year uh, as indian staffing federation legitimized by both the acceptance of government of india niti aayog all the policy making bodies the world employment confederation and ilo as isf is signatory to each one of them we are the formal body that uh, interacts on behalf of india on behalf of employment in india specifically on flexi staffing and frontline employment uh, to the world bodies as well as to the government during the last 55 days of the covid lockdown one of the essential things that we did as isf uh, for our members was obviously we went on a lot of webinars we obviously cannot do any events during this period in a physical form of events we did in fact five uh, events one of the events was specific about cash conservation during this period and how can members small medium and large uh, conserve cash and ensure that they have continuity of business uh, if there are disruptions on the uh, cycles uh, the other three were related to the policy initiatives that isf has taken up with the government Uh, i'm sure some of you have had the opportunity to read what press has been reporting uh, in the last uh, few weeks one of the initiatives that isf took with both the ministry of finance as well as the ministry of labor and employment and we can talk through our questions as well was that we had this quick recognition that india with its kind of challenges of the economy the government has just limited resources to take care of the different sectors and obviously the first pens will go towards those who are most vulnerable and that's our daily wages and those are our migrant workforce and hence the government will have to uh, give a stable footing to them and most of the spends will go in that direction and that's what we've seen by most of the policy measures uh, as such the formal sector which isf is part of and the flexi staffing is also part of will possibly not have the kind of cash flows that we would be expecting that we should have in a scenario like that we came out with a policy document to the government which was basically a uh, suggestion based on non cash and non subsidy uh one such suggestion you've seen has been light of day while our suggestion was for the whole year and to bring down the epf rate from 12 to 6% both on employee employer contribution 
the government has chosen to initially announce it at 10% and for three months. We can talk about other such policy measures that ISF has spoken to the government about during the course of our call today, and happy to brief you on that. Uh, please mind, this is non-cash and non-subsidy in nature, as all of you have obviously figured it out. Uh, the contribution does not go from the treasury of the Indian government. Uh, coming to the presentation of today, as you must have seen, uh, we started talking about towards the end of 2019 as to what would impact flexi staffing industry and formalization in, that's in India. One of the critical things to that would be uh, the number of labor codes that the government was undergoing and changing. India has over 48,000 different legislations and rules under labor employment that we have to follow. More than 200 state legislations because labor continues to remain uh, under the federal structure. Uh, it has to be governed by both the state as well as the center. We have over 44, 45 national uh, legislations. Together, they encompass the four labor codes that the government was in the process. In the, in the document, you would notice that we've given the different stages at which they are. The code of vote wages was the one which is obviously being ratified. Uh, the notifications of which are yet to be completely published. However, the, the parliament has already uh, addressed it and has already approved it. The OSH, the Code on Industrial Relations, which incidentally used to be the IDA Act earlier, or the Disputes Act, and the Code on Social Security is at various stages, which is mentioned on the document. We also spoke about the fact that India has jumped considerably in the ease of doing business. And that obviously from, and each one of you is an expert to that, from a low base of 142 to rising above 63, and now aspirationally, India wants to get into the top 50 and then the top 30. Uh, the foreign direct investment mirrors this sentiment in the last 20 years. And again, I will not take much time because uh, most of you are aware of this. The GDP, as it is, uh, you know, rising for India, at least in the period prior to coming to COVID. Even post-COVID, if we uh, step for a moment, uh, there was a revision of GDP for this financial year expected to be in the range of 5, 5.5%, pre-COVID. Post-COVID, uh, this has been revised by various uh, economists, various government bodies and international bodies to hover anywhere between the minus 1.5% to the plus 1, 1.5%. 1 However, if we reflect this over what's being anticipated for other markets, other major markets, be the US and Europe and everything, it still seems as if India would possibly come out uh, slightly better in comparative terms. I'm not saying that a reduction in GDP is ever uh, beneficial. However, what needs to be noticed is that the, that the trend of GDP, and if we say the last six years was an averaging of 6%, in the good times it was about 7.8 to 8%, in not so good times we were 5.5.5%. If the trend of the last six years was 66.5%, what needs to be noticed here is that the formal economy was growing at that percentage. However, the formal jobs, the permanent jobs were barely growing at about 2.5%. Within the formal jobs, the temporary staffing jobs were growing at over 1.5%. And the base of the ISF members, which is the top 104 companies, as I mentioned, which today contribute 1.1 frontline jobs, uh, in India in temporary staffing were growing at nearly 16.5%. Uh, so this tells you that when it comes to entry-level frontline job environment, you would always notice that there is a multiplier effect to the GDP. It is 2x or 3x of what the GDP trends at. What has staffing achieved in India for itself in the last couple of years? Uh, India today ranks the number fifth as far as uh, flexi staffing in the world is concerned. And I'm here talking about volume. The reason particularly for that is that most of the results are hedged in US dollar or euro terms. Uh, India is 1 is to 70 or 1 is to 80, whichever way you look at it, as far as wage rates are concerned. So value may not be the right denominator to look at uh, flexi staffing. But the growth of flexi staffing or the size of flexi staffing is already the fifth largest. Uh, as we anticipate coming into uh, FI, at, at the end of FI22, this should have risen to about rank fourth in the world on volume terms and maybe tending towards rank three. You'd also notice that the penetration of flexi staffing, uh, as some of the firms went in for an IPO back in 2013 and 15 from their dear HPs, you would remember that the penetration in flexi staffing prior to the companies going into an IPO was 
shown as about 0.33 to 0.35 in India. That means that for every 100 employees who find a formal job, only one third employee or 0.3% of an employee is the one who had a flexi staffing job. In the five to six years, last five to six years, this has already more than doubled. And today ranges between the 0.65 to 0.77 range as far as penetration of flexi staffing is concerned. What does this really mean? This means that on a growing base, flexi staffing is growing faster than the other economic denominators of employment, be it permanent employment or, or any other mechanism of employment. The second point to notice is what kind of a runway are we talking about as far as India is concerned? The world's average during this period has already crossed the 1.8% penetration mark and tending closer to the 2% mark. That means the world is still 3x over India's penetration as far as flexi staffing is concerned. And that typically allows India a headroom and a runway there. This does not mean that the developed world is not higher than that. In fact, if you look at the US, Germany, some parts of Europe and Japan, the flexi staffing penetration remains as high as 4 to 4.5%, which means that the runway as far as the developed world is concerned is almost 8x. The tripartite flexi staffing grew uh, in the last couple of years at an average rate, as I mentioned, at a CAGR of over 16%, uh, and hence brought the flexi staffing industry, formalized flexi staffing, tripartite industry in India to about 3.3 million, of which ISF represents uh, the largest volume with the top 100 companies at about 1.1 billion. Two of the Indian companies during this period also went in for an IPO and today rank in the world's top 100 as far as volume is concerned, both in terms of growth as well as in terms of sheer volume of people that they employ. Pre-COVID, uh, the last research that we had done was on the base of the calendar 2018 and came out in the middle of 2019 as a research report which was widely circulated. Uh, through Investec, we can again circulate that if uh, all of you are interested in seeing sector-wise performance. And you would notice that we were anticipating a 22.7% growth hereafter. Uh, and as I mentioned, 100 members uh, contribute about 1.1 million. If you really look at it, what does flexi staffing industry in India really give us a benefit? It is a tripartite agreement. It's mandated by ILO and ratified and approved by India as well creates economic wealth because at the frontliners today at an average wage scale of about 20,000 rupees per person per month, the spending pattern is the highest. The, the amount of expense that these associates incur is almost near 100% of what they, uh, what they get. So in terms of economic multiplier from the earnings of the flexi staffing is probably the highest. Uh, in terms of the contribution to EPFO, in the last two to three years, Nearly 40% of all new UAN created in the country, uh, and this I'm speaking from an, uh, uh, you know data point that uh, EPFO has shared uh, with all of us, is nearly 40% of such people were coming from flexi staffing companies. So that tells us that while flexi staffing continues to remain small in its, in its ability as penetration at 0.7% of every 100 employees, but nearly 40% of new employment getting created is today an outsourced employee. And that's an EPFO data. Uh, obviously, creates financial inclusion. Uh, but we also came into this period with a slowing GDP growth. But with that, I think the important demographic dividend that we've all been talking about as far as India is concerned is the shift from the agriculture to the manufacturing to the services. Uh, particularly, if you notice in the services side, the contribution from the GDP today has crossed uh, over 49%. And the contribution, as far as employment is concerned, is just 30%. Whereas if you look at agriculture, which is where most of the influx of the migrant workers actually to the cities happened, and today the reverse uh, you know, outflux is happening from the cities back to rural India, is that the contribution to GDP is barely 15%. And the employment associated with that is still 42%. So a young population of India, but tending to migrate outside of agriculture, would essentially move to goods transportation sector, as well as construction sector, as well as entry-level jobs. And that's what is the entrant of flexi staffing. During this period, in terms of formalization in the last, say, 30 years since the big economic revolution of 91 and 92, you would notice that the salaried workers in India have gone up from 14 to about 22% and gradually increasing. However, 
China has during the same period moved up from about 31 to 53 percent. Uh, a big data point that in our research, as ISF that we had mentioned, was that we had taken the population, the working age, the labor force participation, and then gradually come down to the tripartite or the flexi staffing industry. If you look at this, you would realize that the population in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of new people entering the workforce is almost a million a month. In terms of the workforce participation is growing at about 3.5%. But when you split that between informal and formal, you'll realize that formal is growing at 11%, whereas informal is growing much slowly. Within that, temporary staffing is growing at over 12%, of which the fixed-term contract is growing at nearly 15%, within which tripartite is growing at about 16%. If you extrapolate this for almost a decade or more, you would realize that by the end of this decade, with the demographic dividend of new birth, uh, increase in working age population, the increase towards the formalization of the workforce, and thereby the entry-level flexi-staffing, this is a runaway of almost 6x the size of the industry. I'd briefly take a moment to explain some of you some data points that I got for the BSSI industry, as particularly that was uh, the ask from investing. Uh, one of the largest penetration, like I mentioned, that the penetration in flexi-staffing in India and formal employment continues to be 0.7.77%. Within that, the top three industries which has the highest penetration, and rightly so, is the IT-ITS industry with about 12.5% penetration, followed by e-commerce, which is nearly 12% penetration, followed by BFSI, which has more than 9% penetration. Uh, so some of the industries, including BFSI, is almost 12 times more penetrated towards flexi-staffing and continues to remain a large flexi-staffing market as well. Uh, within the regions in India, the largest is Mumbai, Pune, and Gujarat as a region. They contribute almost 28% of the BFSI flexi-staffing workforce, followed by the Bangalore, the Chennai, and the Hyderabad cluster, which is about 23%, followed by Delhi NCR, which is 12%. But if you add Delhi NCR to the Tricona of, let's say, uh, Jaipur on one side, Chandigarh and uh, Mohali on the other side, and the entry of UP on the third side, then that Tricona will tell you that it's almost 26%. So it's Mumbai-Pune region with greater Delhi region or the Northern Belt, followed by the Bangalore, Chennai, and uh, Hyderabad region. If you look at it in terms of people staying into the jobs, on an average in BFSI, 94% uh, of the workforce in flexi-staffing in BFSI continues to remain less than two years because a lot of absorption happens into permanent jobs from here. In fact, for the BFSI industry, this is a great stepping stone that you bring in people as flexi-staff and you give them permanent roles thereafter. In terms of gender diversity, if you were to look at it, it's about 18% women workforce in BFSI industry from flexi-staffing and about 82%. Uh, which is males. From, from last year, we actually seen uh, GDP growth sort of uh, slow down, and we have got into this situation of a lockdown. Uh, but we haven't really seen sharp drops in, uh, uh, you know, associates or staffing companies as yet. And to add to this, you have some data from CMI which suggests uh, that unemployment was at 27% last month, and also adding data points such as 18 million salary drops going away. Uh, how, how do you put two and two together uh, with uh, these data points? Uh, do you think that the drops for staffing firms are yet to come uh, in the following uh, uh, quarters, or uh, how do you make of this data, and why is it behaving in the way it is? It's so a great question. Uh, you'll have to allow me a few minutes to explain this because this is a little lot. Uh, first and foremost, I think in the lockdown of 55 days now, this is the third month uh, where the flexi staffing companies are going to payroll for their customers. Uh, there was March, which was locked down for about 8 to 10 days, followed by entire April of 30 days, and now uh, a good part of May. But obviously, unlocking is happening and economic activity is starting at places. Uh, first and foremost, I think the Indian industry towards employee is very, very humane. For us, employee is not just a cost, but it is many other ingredients inside an argument. Uh, if you reflect this with what is happening to staffing in US and Europe as we speak, a lockdown announcement on a Friday means typically 
a downsizing which happens on a Monday, and it happens via an email. Whereas third month into the row, the taxi staffing companies are having conversations with customers as to how the two of them put together can bring down cost over a period of time, and this necessarily does not mean that you downsize. Uh, in all situations, it does not mean that you downsize. Point number two, as far as India is concerned, taxi staffing is very very entry level wages. Organizations are today when they are looking at their cost base, they are dividing the reduction in cost as far as India is concerned on non-people and then people-based cost. First, they are addressing the issues of non-people, so travel being cut big time, uh, all the frivolous expenses towards your infrastructure, office seats, the kind of uh, you know fancy environments that most organizations possibly created in the last few years. There's downsizing happening to that. And then the organizations are coming to people. Within people itself, if you read from any of the media reports which has come and what media has been talking about, it's the, it's the senior most who are taking the, the deepest cuts and uh, rightly so. Uh, so which means that a lot of these cuts uh, don't happen at the entry level because of two reasons. One, the wage rate at the entry level is the lowest. For you to make a cut at the entry level, you'll have to do the same cut to over 100 or 300 employees than you would do at the higher levels, and you would still see the same amount of impact. Second, the way India announced the policy of lockdown, and they took the benefit under the DMA Act, the Disaster Management Act 2005, and virtually made it impossible for organizations to let go of workmen or workers. I've had many media calls come to us and a lot of people have asked us this question that why is it that from the first week we heard so many uh, organizations are downsizing their employees but at the same time they seem to be keeping their frontline employees. So while the frontline employee as I mentioned is very low on the economic cycle and the wage scale and hence the impact is the lowest even if you do deep cuts. Second, the law prevented you from doing that and third, there is a recognition in the organizations that in the rebuild period, it is this employee who runs the fastest to acquire customers for you. They are the ones who are the frontliners who have touch points with your end customers. And hence, keeping them on roles is not better than letting go at this period and rebuilding all over again. Because a rebuild, even of a flexi staff, is minimum eight to 10 weeks. You have about four weeks of finding the right talent, then onboarding them at least two to four or six weeks of training them and bringing them up to speed. So these have been some of the reasons why that meltdown that we felt that flexi staffing in India will mirror the way meltdown happens in Europe or US will not happen. Lastly, flexi staffing in India contracts a cost plus model mostly, which means the customer picks up the tab for the expense along with the agency's fees and the 18%. Unlike most of the contracts globally uh, where where the flexi staff, if they are let go of the by the customer, they become the bench of the staffing company. And the staffing company for that much period has to pay for it and then wait for a government dole to come, which will be towards wages. And U.S. announced the $3,500 per person at the entry level. Uh, Singapore announced 1150 Singapore dollars per person at the entry level. Those kind of supports. Coming back to the question on CMI and the data, uh, See, we'll have to see this in, in recognition of not just the formal industry, but the larger industry. Because for the simple reason, the formal industry in India, by all stats, is just about 7 crore or 70 million people. CMI, with its prediction of about 18 to 23 million of people let go, means that every third person has been let go. Let's not forget that out of the 7 crore of 70 million people, around 10 million are employed directly by the government. And government has not let go of even one person. So are we trying to say that for all the balanced formal workers, right from a flexi staff to a CEO in every organization in India, uh, out of the six, 60 million or six crores, almost every second person has lost their job? I think everyone on this call would realize that in, in every organization, probably the cuts have been uh, much, much lower than 50% or 33%. Uh, where the data is coming from is basically a combination of all sets of employment categories. Uh, and there are sets of employment categories, the largest which the government tried to address with, with their second and third announcement was towards MSME. If you remember from the announcement that the government made, the government said 45 lakh 
enterprises are under msmes today contributing nearly 11.7 crore population or 120 million people the biggest cuts or the deepest cuts have happened there because the cash flow conditions of these companies were the weakest uh, and which is why a huge amount of dollars have gone to support that industry uh, but that industry or the msme contributes on an average 26.4 employees per organization and they aren't really uh, the customer base of most of the taxi stocking companies so we'll have to see it in that perspective sure uh, uh, so so if you were to uh, so if it uh, if you look at uh, the underlying uh, sort of movement that it's uh, uh, the uh, law which sort of uh, stopped uh, the cut in jobs and then think about uh, about the government is doing in terms of uh, uh, maybe some cuts in government uh, staff salaries across different states and so on and so forth and if you were to assume that consumption would take some time to really pick up uh, assuming that certain sections has been have been impacted do you think that once the lockdown is uh, over and once this uh, 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 and once this uh, uh, dma act is sort of uh, over with do you think that uh, the industry will see sharp cuts post that uh, i wouldn't call them sharp cuts but but cuts for sure uh, could be there uh, for the, for a couple of reasons one uh, there are parts of the industry which has been even during lockdown actually giving demand to staffing companies uh, let's take the e-commerce or the delivery based companies and i think enough and more of them have come in media directly to say that they are hiring more because they have more demand unfortunately the government within the e-commerce also split it between essential and non-essential thank god from the 18th of may there is no such bifurcation and now everything can be delivered whether essential or non essential so that brings in a huge amount of demand uh, for that industry because if you remember i also mentioned that the top three industries which penetrate flexi staffing is it its ecom and bfs so ecom is a wave which is there the second part is the essential services under food fmcg and likewise uh, while the government continued to allow them to function in uh, the lockdown there was a very clear uh you know departure from a standard demand and supply and most of the factories were not working because transportation sector had been impacted warehousing had been impacted and today also if you notice factories they are virtually limping back to work with just a single shift working the second and the third shift have not even started the third aspect and you would see from all the data points which is getting collated uh is that almost anywhere between 3 to 5 crore people would have left cities and would have moved to rural india uh, they may not come back till the end of monsoon till this virus is over or maybe till next year one of these three or maybe all of these three uh, this also uh, gives credence to the fact that the government added about 200 crore mandates of work uh, 2000 million mandates of work under mandrega so unless they were thinking that the exodus is anywhere between 2 to 3 crore or more people they wouldn't have had to add 200 crore mandates of work under mandrega so basically what will happen is as we unlock the market would get divided into certain buckets buckets which will see uh, resurgence of demand which would be e-commerce which would partially be bfsi but in different manners like you've had a moratorium for 90 days there could be an extension of moratorium we don't know uh, but it just suddenly has slowed down the collection cycle for most of the bfsi industry and hence they'll have to add people for a temporary basis on that we've seen sharp corrections in what's happening in us and uh, europe and most of the companies are unable to function there india has started functioning its it and its sector uh, nascom itself has given a statement saying that now 93% or more of our people in the it industry are completely ready to work from home so it just doesn't matter anymore to us whether it's a lockdown or not a lockdown uh, the captives in india will get more business the it industry will get more business and last but not the least over time you will notice that the announcements made by the government which definitely i will say it was not a sprint uh, this is definitely a marathon that the government is trying to run i think somewhere they are also saying that we can put the 5 trillion dollar economy goal aside and go straight for the 10 trillion dollar economy but maybe that goal will be out 10 or 11 years uh, 
so what the government is trying to do is pump prime the economy from those kind of uh, expenditures what we might see in terms of reduction would be the discretionary spending which will take time again discretionary can be divided into two categories the super luxury segments which are very very deeply impacted and will take time to recover because you rightly said the sentiment probably a little low uh, you know job cuts happening at a smaller percentage but salary cuts happening probably at a deeper percentage you know bonuses being uh, put off incentives being put off people will be hesitant uh, to spend more especially on the luxury segment but when it comes to discretionary at lower level our understanding is that when the human is allowed to go out there uh, you will suddenly see a pent up of demand which will start to happen uh, but yes the guesstimate on this so far and i will call it a guesstimate and not even an estimate at this stage is that we will notice some correction in q1 uh, i think we would scale back a few percentage points uh, some of the expectation is about 20% that this would go back about 20% but if this industry was going growing at more than 20% this basically says that your q1 fy21 might mirror your q1 fy20 uh and that's the trajectory that you will go with for some time q2 will start to see recovery and demand uh from bfsi from some of the other sectors and by the time we are towards the end of q2 you will notice the rest of the retail india will start to come back because that in any case mirrors with the festive demand of india and that's when people come out during raksha bandhan 15th august uh you know all of anything to do with that period starting from raksha bandhan eid uh, ganesh chaturthi and thereafter into dashara diwali and stuff like that uh, i think the deepest uh, problems lie around industries which seek negative next couple of quarters and that's mostly to do with hospitality that's mostly to do with hotels that's mostly to do with restaurants that's mostly to do with like cinema in a manner of speaking because in some of these sectors it is just impossible to have a business model with social distancing uh like aviation how many seats are you going to compromise if you're going to create social distancing cinema how many seats will you compromise if you create social distancing restaurants food courts those are the ones which will have probably a longish impact uh, than the rest of them so that that's how we are looking at as far as uh, staffing is concerned in the next couple of months and couple of quarters uh, you uh, briefly alluded to cash flows impact for the industry uh, in your opening remarks are you uh, so for quite some time we have actually seen uh, the funded portion of the business actually sort of decline uh, over a period of time uh, do you think that uh, one uh, this uh, whole lockdown situation would actually uh, increase the funded portion that a lot of uh, players would have to give and two uh do you think a lot of uh, smaller players would actually struggle to survive and there would be market share gain for the uh larger players and uh, uh, finally how big is this uh, uh, cash flow issue uh, for the industry uh, so to your first question which is about the difference between funded and uh, advanced business uh, there's always been an arbitrage on uh, fees or earnings between funded and non funded funded being more expensive to the customer and for the right reasons uh in a scenario like this where everybody is looking at a uh, discounting or everybody is looking at an ability to save cost from wherever they can uh i wouldn't say that this would be a trend for organizations because they would have to essentially by asking for a funding have to also part with more in terms of service fees to staffing companies and if that were to happen their cost would essentially go up rather than going down uh having said that this would depend on each company's portfolio of customers dependent on whether they work with marquee brands who have strong cash flows and cash on the books or whether they work with too many uh entry level organizations on the customer side or startups because the immediate cash flow issues which has actually happened in the entire industry is towards startups in fact most of these media reports that we often keep citing every day today 3900 people going 1100 people going 3000 people going 5000 people got an email from a ceo of a company mostly if you notice these are companies which are unit metrics negative uh, year end cash flows negative but surviving on funding from vcs and pe's at this stage because 
they are building a digital platform which will then over time acquire hundreds of millions of customers and make money uh, the question is uh, is their model wrong no absolutely not i think the timing has suddenly become wrong for them so they have started to squeeze their belts because of that and they probably realize that they need to be smaller than where they were uh so i don't think so that that part would be uh, and and if that situation were to come in front of staffing companies i think uh, most of them are smart enough to take the right calls uh, to that extent now coming to your second part of the question which is what happens to the long tail the emerging from any recession or emerging from any kind of a disruption in economic cycle always tends to make leaders larger than uh, previous times one because survival for leaders is or for survival for larger companies is a uh, much easier because they have a bigger portfolio they have a diverse portfolio many customers to rely on many markets many geographies many different lines of business so that diversity helps them uh, leaders are also able to cut their slab more than smaller organizations because smaller organizations in any case were stealth uh, but the leaders were large and hence for them to have internal indirect cost reductions abilities are always greater third for leaders to move towards technology even during this period and do lot of digitization and start i mean to invest more in digitization for further bringing down unit cost or unit metrics is much easier again than the long tail or or those organizations uh so that's been always the experience the world over in any sector i think that's been the experience may continue to happen uh, in staffing as well as far as india is concerned and tougher conversation if you have only a few handful of customers that you rely on you've got a small book size uh, tougher conversations become that much more tougher uh, but when you've got a much bigger book size and you've got thousands of customers then the ability to arbitrage across those sectors also uh, is much better so while from a staffing industry perspective we have a long long way to go we are so underpenetrated uh, that we have a huge runway uh, but this unfortunately could be an outcome of what's happening around us hi lohit uh, lohit can you talk a bit more about uh, the four labor codes uh, that uh, you know uh, have been uh, designed now so what is the current update and uh, second do you see any risks in terms of any states uh, having the optionality of uh, disrupting these as well uh, sure so great question uh, as far as the exact status is concerned that's part of the deck that we sent today morning i will not go into the specifics of it because it will take time to explain each one of them but the payment of wages act was the first one which has already been approved at every stage uh, the notification as to the ex- the date from when it gets notified in what in the country is uh, awaited on some of the other key codes which is the industrial relations uh, it's obviously the big significant shift is the word disputes is removed and it made relations and i think that's the direction they want to take it in uh, the code on social security obviously brings in the gig workforce and you would remember from the announcement the fifth stage of the announcement of the finance minister is that they are coming out with a policy measure which will cover social security for gig workforce and platform workforce as well when we looked at in the pre covid time of the four labor codes i think as a staffing industry we were pretty uh, very very pro uh, in favor of these uh, legislations uh, they are they are increasing and enhancing ease of doing business iss itself has been working with the ministry of labor for the last 3 plus years to draft most of these legislations and continues to work with them and one significant measure in this you would remember was Uh, the nationalized plra or the labor license which was also supposed to be notified and ratified one big expense and uh, uh, difficulty to do business for large staffing companies is that they have to take state wise labor licenses for each of their national customers every year whereas one significant policy change in plra was that nationalized staffing companies will be enabled to take a national labor license for the kind of growth that they anticipate and then lien or a fine against that uh, you know labor license to the customers that you sign the labor license in itself will remain concurrent to the number of years that you have the customer in your contract and then the customer steps out from some of the uh, you know the uh, expenses and some of the responsibilities as a client uh, having said that so, so that part 
was absolutely positive and we are very very pro and isf is working very closely with the government and we continue to push for that coming to your second part of the question is that is there a fear that we are now disrupting the hard work of the last 3 years and we are further trying to uh, you know do ease of doing business i think i think we have to read it in couple of context one the state governments have come out with a direction to attract new businesses mostly manufacturing based businesses with an understanding or an intent that by doing this uh more and more organizations world over will look at india against china but if you may look back and see uh one of the policy measures that was announced by up government was to move the overtime from 8 to 12 hours has been withdrawn by them uh the second part is that these are as i mentioned these are under concurrent list so under the federal structure we need a consent by both the state and the center which hasn't happened in any of the cases third uh the bharti mazdoor sang the union uh, which belongs in a manner of speaking not belongs but kind of uh, uh, you know bench towards the current dispensation has called for a nation wise uh, band on this so our understanding on this entire thing is that we don't need to let go of the labor laws we need to have the four labor codes uh, come out and get ratified and notified at the earliest that itself is a significant amount of ease of doing business certain things always need to be protected which includes minimum wage and social security uh, also i will bring your attention to the fact that while these eight states came out with some policy measures to ease and up went to the extent of saying all labor laws for 1000 to 1200 days will be kept in abeyance the finance minister announced that we will have something called a national floor wage so between the state government and the central government itself we see that there is a disconnect on this issue because if they are saying all labor laws will be kept in abeyance that also means payment of wages act which means minimum wage act and then if that is happening then why is the union government announcing the national floor wage so in the end i mean this is our free understanding and we haven't seen the fine print of the ordinance that they are planning to come out with but in the end our understanding is this is finally going to become a slightly larger initiative than the 20 30 year old sez initiative if you remember we created in the country sezs which were these bonded units which were enabled only for exports in future state governments might come out with certain such land and they will say if you put enterprise within this confines or this walls you get these benefits in a time bound manner but will every labor law completely go away i have my absolute doubts on it in terms of this um migrant labor issue um and this question is not necessarily only for flexi staffing but overall economy um how big is this issue and and how do you see this playing out a uh, great question sadeep uh, i think our estimate is what the media and the government has also been uh, estimating we, we were first estimating on the number of uh, you know passes that the states were giving and the portals that they created to register for the migrant workers to come back so we were doing quick estimates based is that and we were coming to a number of about 1 and 1/2 to 2 crores people being backwards from cities to uh, the states however when we heard the finance minister's announcement of pushing up mandrega spend by 60% from 61 odd 1000 crores i think it was last year and they added some 40000 crores they gone 300 crore mandates they added 200 crore mandates almost 66% we felt that this is lot larger than we were originally anticipating and it could be possibly as large as about 3 crore people moving backwards so here currently the estimates all across the country range from anywhere on the low side of about 1 and a half 2 crore people moving back to a high side of about 3 to 5 crore people moving backwards uh, but few data points here one which are the industries that this immediately impacts one it impacts transport sector which is your warehousing your labor that is used there your loaders and unloaders and everything your helpers who help on dhabas and on you know um, fixing trucks on the side of the roads and their cleaners and everything uh, second it impacts uh, your construction workers which is also otherwise called daily workers or daily wages and construction workers that's a very very big segment which is uh, got impacted the third is at the entry level the un the informal 
employment in manufacturing. In, in manufacturing also there are three types of employment, broad three types. There's a permanent employee, there's a flexi staff employee who also gets 11 month contract or more and keeps getting renewed over time. And then there is this daily wager who comes in just to, you know, uh, fill in the gaps and everything. So it is that part which is gone. Uh, most of the flexi staffing companies in fact have done another, uh, uh, you know, understanding of the post lockdown period and try to do surveys of their people. And we have realized that in most situations where the people are on a permanent, I mean, they're on a permanent wage rate, which could be flexi staff or permanent people. The people who still continue to be at the cities is as high as 93 to 95%. Only three to five, I mean, only five to 7% people have moved out into the states because like I started by saying that, you know, the benevolence of a lot of principal employers to continue paying during the lockdown also enabled people to keep uh, meeting expenses in the cities and continuing to stay here. Now, where will this eventually impact the economy? Where it will impact is that when the goods and transportation sector is and the manufacturing will go from that single to double, uh, you know, uh, uh, shift and from double to all three shifts, that is when they'll realize that they've started touching what is called the tipping point and they will have labor shortages. So where will they go? They will go to these gig companies and these platform companies where the boys are mostly, you know, two-wheeler drivers and shipping food here, there, everywhere. And they'll try to give them social security benefits of a full-time, I mean, uh, benefits of a long-term job and everything and some meals at the station and start to bring people in there. Where will that impact? That will impact your e-commerce industry. E-commerce is flushed with cash because it's deeply funded by two uh, large global companies. Where will they impact? They will go into the retail economy. The domino effect will be visible by the season of 2020. Uh, but the shortages will start to come about from about 45 days from today. When we go from that single shift to the second and the third shift in factories, when we need more trucks, when we need more labor at the warehouses, that's when we'll start realizing actually there is a labor shortage got created. It eventually over time will create a domino effect. This season could possibly see both a labor uh, price increase happening as well as a labor demand happening. So we could very quickly go from a lack of demand for people right now to a shortage of people within this year itself. Mm -hmm. Just to follow up on that, uh, you said for the flexi staffing companies, uh, 93 to 95% of people are still there. So for sectors or type of jobs that you guys are involved in, uh, or the flexi staffing companies are involved in, the impact is minimal so far. At the moment, it's minimal. But when the other sectors start to poach from the frontline flexi staffing companies, then we'll start to see attrition. Interestingly, March and April payrolls, which the staffing companies have done, actually attrition has plummeted. Other, and obviously, rightly so. I mean, who's writing at this time when they're getting paid while working from home? Yeah. Uh, nobody wants to put down their papers because there are no other, I mean, there are no surety of getting another job and you can't go out for an interview. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. But but for jobs like, let's say, uh, salespeople or like uh, call centers or back office, those type of, or, or let's say delivery um, people for, let's say, food delivery or e-commerce, those type of sectors that flexi staffing serves, there have been very little uh, job cuts so far in two months? Uh, yes, so far. Like I explained a little while back that one, the humanity of most of these employers because, uh, you know, they've, they've kept these people and these people are the ones who helped them bring their revenue flows in the past. Second, the DMA Act, which was a protector towards the wage earner and the workman. It was not a protector towards people on this call because the government of India's labor legislation does not speak to executives and managers and salaried employees, but speaks to the workmen. So there was a protection there. Uh, and third, uh, in flexi staffing also, there is from the time you start to take out a demand for a person to the time the person starts earning to you, there's a good long period of eight to 10 weeks. Uh, unless you see a very, very deep impact in your industry, let's say you're a tourism or a travel company, or let's say you're a cinema company, or you're an aviation company, or you're a restaurant or a hotel, unless you're one of those, because you don't just see the problem today during lockdown, but you see the protracted problem in Q2 and Q3 also, the let go's part has been much lesser. Yeah, and just one more last question. In terms of restaurants, travel, 
hotels, those type of sectors, I would imagine salaried employees would be reasonably, as in the number would not be very, very large because most of the restaurants is informal labor, uh, right? So, so, so the total number of salaried employees or flexi staffing type of employees, would that be small for these directly impacted? Yeah. You're absolutely right. In fact, flexi staffing penetration in most of those industries is very minimal. Uh, one in aviation, as the Indian law is, you cannot have people on the tarmac side or inside the airport buildings as outsourced employees. So they have to be permanent employees of uh, those companies. Uh, second, when you come to your restaurants, hotels, they mostly get, like you rightly said, uh, at the entry level, they get uh, you know informal uh, labor. And at slightly higher levels, they go to hotel management institutes and directly bring in uh, apprentices for there for one, two, or three years, and then move them upwards into management and managerial cadre. So they don't really rely on flexi staffing companies. So a lot of these are not sectors which really impact flexi staffing in any which uh, any significant. As the demand comes back, do you expect manufacturing to have big issues in terms of labor, or? Over time, these labor will come back. If they're getting more money, they will come back from sort of villages. No, in fact, with manufacturing, our analysis is slightly different. Our analysis on manufacturing is that the formal flexi staffing companies weren't able to penetrate all these years for many, many reasons. And uh, I'm sure all of you understand those reasons. Uh, and they were mostly these, uh, you know, small-time local regional labor contractors who used to supply the manpower. Now the issue would be that most of these people will be uh, not able to compete with the large flexi staffing companies in being able to supply manpower where ramp-ups happen. So a lot of these people will move out from, uh, you know, local labor management kind of scenarios to formalized ways of running their factories. A lot of this could create, in fact, additional demand for staffing industry, which did not exist or staffing industries could not attend to that demand in the past. But can you get labor, even if it's through formal staffing? Can you, will you be able to get labor, given that all these people have moved out? The good part in India is that we started something called skilling about uh, six years ago, and that has created about 20,000 plus uh, skilling companies in the country, which have been doing a few million uh, upskilling every year. And that data pool is available to most of the large formalized collective staffing companies, both via data exchange with the Ministry of Skill does or the NCS, the National Career Services Portal does from Government of India, as well as the one-on-one -on -one MOUs that staffing companies would have with large uh, scaling companies like that. Yes, I would say that, yes, they would be better place to... So you will contact uh, them from villages and may be able to get them back, you're saying? May not require them from villages, but neighboring areas. See, there is also, an, uh, you, you can also see from this perspective that there are, uh, you know, states which are consuming labor and states which are giving labor. In the past, what was happening is certain set of states were hesitant to take their own people, and they were mostly relying on other states which were cheaper, and they were taking labor influx from there. Today, that trend will also change. And that trend can easily change if you have skill centers in those states which are well penetrated, and they've had people who've been skilled in the past. So that ecosystem of skilling companies, staffing companies in the center of it, and the demand coming in from the manufacturers, the three of them together can fulfill that requirement. Uh, like the you said that instead of getting people from UP Bihar or other states, they may just try to get labor from neighboring areas. That may be a little bit more expensive, but is it even available to do all this construction work and manufacturing work and things like that? Yes, absolutely. Um, let's also not forget that Kerala did a massive exodus of uh, uh, you know people going outside the country, and hence they became deficient in. Uh, uh, you know, their own state. And hence, they had to rely on people coming in from Urisa or Jharkhand or other places and everything. Today, Kerala has also got a few hundred thousand people back from the Gulf countries. So uh, even the states which were deficient in the past may not be so deficient in the future uh, themselves. But like I also mentioned a brief while back, the domino effect will start to happen when manufacturing goes into second and third shift. And when that starts to happen, the wage scales and wage rates will increase. When it increases, a person in Kerala will be inclined to work in Kerala state itself, may not rush for a 20,000 rupee yeah. job or a 22,000 rupee job to the Gulf country. And hence, Kerala may not get a cheap labor from Jharkhand at 12,000, but might have to pay to a local Keralaite 
which is 18 to 20,000. And which is why I said six months from today, we'll be speaking a very different language. There's a shortage and hence suddenly at the front line, the wage scales have gone up. When the government reforms all the existing uh, labor regulations um, and the regulations become more contemporary, um, transparent and uh, easier to comply with, under that condition, that the value proposition of this flexi-starting companies to its customers, does that run the risk of getting diluted? Uh, I think Prime Hook KC is someone to read it from that perspective. Uh, that is the inference that anybody could get. Uh, but that's not the, the only reason for why flexi staffing happens. If there was a labor arbitrage happening or a compliance arbitrage happening, then what you say is true. But today, flexi staffing companies also stand true to every labor compliance and labor legislation that has to be done in the country, including giving people. Uh, GMC, GPA insurances beyond just the ESIP mandated insurance. So the reason for people to do flexi staffing from large organizations and growing organizations is not labor compliances as the only hurdle or the arbitrage. Uh, one of the simple reasons for that is that technology is undergoing significant shift. Your customer buying behavior is undergoing significant shift. So what you sell, what you buy today, you may not be doing exactly the same thing and three years from today, and hence you may not need the same category of skill of resource three years from today. So when you are not sure about how evolution of this will happen, you want to have a diverse work pool whereby both the entry as the exit should be equally flexible. Now each entry and exit brings about on one side sourcing, the other side dehiring and redeployment to other customers. Uh, organizations will not want to create large hiring teams of their own. If today a large customer were to insource a, a large outsourcing project, they would need hundreds of recruiters on their own campus. They would need tens of compliance people to manage all the 29 states. They would need tens and hundreds of operations people to manage the thousands of employees on a daily basis. Just the sheer cost of adding all of these people in transactions would defeat the purpose of outsourcing what is not called to you. So today people come to staffing companies for speed, for agility, uh, for economies of scale, for subject matter expertise. And subject matter expertise is not just uh, writing the, uh, you know, the registers for the compliances. It's also expertise on other things like training and development, like sourcing, like dehiring, like redeployment, and various other facets. Uh, rather, in fact, our understanding has been that the hesitation that India has always had to grow, the hesitation that MSMEs have become so large. Today, our MSMEs with 12 crore Indian people at just 26.4 employees per MSME and 45 lakh MSMEs really shook the government because the line of questioning that I heard from each one of you today also was that the minute the lockdown happened, did the customers decline and let go of the sexy staffing? No, they didn't. What happened was that the MSMEs literally let go of all the people. And that's where the government realized the whole crisis is happening and they couldn't defend it. So this whole momentum of shifting MSMEs from that one crore slab of investment to as high as 100 crores of turnover and everything is now to give them an ambition that don't think that you will remain protected as MSMEs when you remain small. Think big. Start becoming large. Start thinking large. Hiring more people. So in fact, the number of organizations which today have an ability to become a customer to staffing companies would actually grow. From that 45 lakh base, if another 45,000 companies get pushed this way, staffing can grow 4x in itself, just with 1% movement of companies from MSMEs 45 lakh base to here. So I don't think so that that's a true reflection that people are coming to staffing companies only because they think that compliance is can be managed or worked around through staffing companies and it cannot be. And if that were true, then through staffing companies, the, the retention of workforce during lockdown would have generally not happened, which is what we noticed as happened. Got it. Um, again, if we go back to uh, 2017 when GST was launched, that point of time there was uh, a high level of expectation that uh, you see a meaningful shift from uh, the unorganized to organized and flexi staffing. 
uh, I think it's fair to say that subsequent developments have uh, belied those expectations. Um, uh, what are we missing and what do you think will cause uh, a more faster shift from unorganized to organized? I wouldn't say what was the estimate uh, has been belied. In fact, I would say that it continued to happen in the three years from GST announcement. Uh, the staffing companies got lot many more new customers as virgin clients who did not ever outsource before because under the regime of VAT and excise on one side and service tax on the other side, they did not have a full throughput of SendVAT credit. Under GST, they all started getting credit. I think what you're reflecting to is the otherwise slowing down economy and specifically most of this happened in the retail side. So, so retail, basically two things happened. On one side, there was new customers coming into the base which kept growing staffing companies. The other side, existing set of customers started seeing a slower demand in the economy uh, and hence they became slower over time. So clients which would, let's say, existing clients which would grow 10, 15, 20% year on year started growing 2, 3, and 5% year on year and some started declining, existing clients, instead of growing rapidly. But what, what did the staffing companies still continue to generate their, uh, I mean, their base and their scale kept growing last year was because of the fact that the new customers kept transitioning. In fact, had that not happened, if let's say that would have not happened, then the results of 1920 would have been very different. In fact, it could have probably seen a decline rather than a uh, growth. So I think uh, GST helped but the rest of the economy uh, started to see some headwinds. Before coming into COVID, India was not in the finest of shapes in any case as far as economy is concerned. We were slowing down and jobs were reducing. So from that standpoint, I'm saying that the two things netted each other off and we still saw significant growth. Uh, so I think that would be there. The second significant thing would be that as we've just spoken, that the pent-up demand in certain sectors will start getting visible from Q2. Q1 will definitely be something that we will have to reset. Uh, we feel that people might go back a year. But I'll also draw your attention to some global data here. We were, we were analyzing the data of the four listed large uh, multinational staffing companies who've been around for decades, overseas and listed overseas. And this data is in the public domain. Each one of you can also Google and see it for yourself. Uh, they have all seen the 2000 period uh, of massive recession. They've seen the 2007 to 2009, uh, the financial crisis, and they've also seen the 2014, uh, you know, blip before the global market started to go into a bull run. In each of the times, you would see that they have corrected just like the stock market tends to correct. But the resurgence post that has been a lot more. In fact, some of the leading companies today are four times the size of what they were if you take 1999 and 2000 as a base, four times in 21 years. Right, right. And lastly, so you expressed the view that so uh, what will be the, the cost of this temporary hike in wages due to temporary demand supply mismatch? And second is, again, many of the employers are also not in a very um, strong condition. Uh, in an environment where pricing power for the employer is weak, um, how feasible is it for them to absorb this higher wage cost? Um. I bring you to about six years, seven years ago when the e-commerce companies had just started setting foot in India. Our uh, our average wage of minimum wage in India was about 7,000, which today, six years later, an average is about 10, 11,000. Uh, some states are still below 9,000. That's, uh, you know, uh, not fair, but anyway, they are there. Uh, and some states are as high as Karnataka and Delhi, which is 18,000 and 21,000 odd respectively. Uh, but the national, if you take an average, is about 10, 11,000. You'd be surprised to know that just with the advent of two aggressive e-commerce platforms today, in the last six years, they have outstripped the minimum wage average by almost 2x. 
an e-commerce company today almost pays between 18 and a half thousand to as high as about 23,000 per person, which is double the national wage if we take an average of the wages. And in some states, in some cities, in some pockets, during certain periods of the year, uh, which are also called their uh, seasonal uptick and demand decline, and that has then led to a whole industry of uh, you know these two-wheeler Uh, delivery boys, including the ones which work with large platforms and gig companies as partners, who even aspirationally earn more than twenty-two, twenty-three thousand. That's a different question. That if you were a uh, flexi-staffing employee during lockdown for an e-commerce company, you still got your twenty-one, twenty-two thousand wage even during lockdown, whether you were in a red zone or orange or a green. But if you were unfortunately with one of the platform companies and you aspire to earn more you're obviously your uh, you know your cash flows completely went for a toss because orders went for a toss and those companies do not pay you wages but they pay you for delivery so all it takes in every industry is actually a handful of leaders to change the discourse and the direction uh, yes it will become sticky and difficult for the tier 2 tier 3 and tier 4 suppliers if the wage rates in certain certain states were to start going up Uh, and it will become difficult for them to hire uh, at those levels because their cash flows would also be under severe constraint. Uh, but at the same time, for the larger ones, the ones which are the uh, large, uh, you know, part of the economy and the large organizations, not for them to bite the bullet for a few months or during the escalation in price is not very, very difficult. And we've seen this in the past that the leaders tend to outstrip the others when they start offering. Wage rates, and that's called more like market wage rather than minimum wage. So we've seen this happen in the previous, uh, you know, period as well, and we've seen this often happen by the market leaders in every industry segment. It can repeat for itself in manufacturing as well. Uh, thank you all for joining.